Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good day to everybody. I'm Nicholas Bornosius of Capital Link, and I'd like to welcome you to Capital Link's company presentation series. We have with us today the management of MPC containers, Konstantin Bach, CEO, and Moritz Perman, the CFO. And uh, they will be presenting us uh, MPC containers and uh, the container sector. Uh, in terms of disclaimer, just to remind everybody, this presentation is for information purposes only. It's not meant to be investment advice. It's not meant to be solicitation for transacting in any securities in any way. Uh, in terms of logistics, we start with the presentation. Uh, and after the slide presentation, there will be a live Q&A session. Please submit your questions at any point of time during the session uh, through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. And your questions will be replied to by Constantine and Moritz at the end of their uh, slide presentation. Uh, and uh, in closing, uh, this uh, session will be available as an archive for replay and access upon demand uh, a couple of hours after the, uh, the end of the uh, live session. So thank you very much. And more to the floor is yours. Thank you, Nicholas, and good afternoon and good morning, everyone. This is Konstantin Bach. I'm CEO of MPC Containerships, and as Nicholas said, I'm joined by Moritz Fuhrmann, our CFO, and we would like to welcome you to MPC Containerships company presentation in context of the Capital Link company presentation series. Thank you for joining us today. Um, the presentation will be made available also on our website. Um, and it does include certain forward-looking statements and estimates. Um, and we therefore would like to advise that actual results might differ substantially um, from those who are implied by some of the slides. Having said that, I would like to kick off the presentation, um, which is today structured in three sections. First of all, a short introduction about MPC containerships then a short market update, and then we will have, a, have an outlook um, followed by a Q&A session. But before I start with uh, the presentation, let me um, briefly explain that uh, this morning we have also announced a uh, event-driven uh, dividend, uh, another one, uh, and we have also announced certain portfolio measures, which uh, we will um, also explain in a bit more detail in the course of the presentation. We have sold a vessel and we have acquired two additional vessels, but more on that later on in the presentation. MPC Containerships, who are we? We are a market-leading uh, container shipping company with a very distinct focus on intra-regional trades. Um, and we place an emphasis on uh, uh, shareholder return. Um, if you uh, look at uh, the key components of our activities, First of all, we have a, um, a significant um, portfolio of vessels. We own, we are the largest owner besides the operators of uh, tonnage between one and uh, 6,000 TU globally. We operate 65 vessels uh, with a capacity of around 150,000 uh, TU. Um, we, uh, at the same time, have a balance sheet uh, that is characterized by low leverage, high flexibility, more than 50% of our fleet is unencumbered, more on that as we go through. Um, and we have a, a very sound revenue backlog of around 1.7 billion. Those figures are as per end of Q3, the last reporting date of MPCC. Furthermore, when it comes to capital allocation, we have a very 
clear um, focus um, on certain capital allocation principles in different times of the cycle. Um, we also, um, from history, have a, a proven track record of being able to execute transactions at the right point of the cycle. Uh, we believe there is time to deploy capital and then there is also time to return capital to shareholders. Um, and that is certainly dependent on the market environment we operate in. Um, last year, so 2022, we have um, uh, dividend and out uh, 440 million US dollars. Uh, we have been the highest dividending uh, shipping company globally, um, uh, documenting our emphasis on distributions to shareholders. And last but certainly not least, um, we have a very transparent and clear um, market presence and corporate governance um, with the MPC Capital Group um, out of Germany, a very strong sponsor. Um, and we have a, a, a true commitment to ESG. We are uh, one of the best rated uh, companies uh, in the Norwegian market uh, when it comes to uh, the ESG rating conducted last year. And on that note, after a short introduction, I would like to continue um, with um, the uh, distinct focus uh, that we have because that also differentiates us from other um, companies in the space. Um, on the top left, you can see the distribution of our fleet in the key intra-regional trades, intra-Asia, intra-Americas, intra-Europe, but uh, also other areas on this globe, but those are the most prominent ones. We are, as you can see, the largest tonnage provider on the right-hand side, you can see that in terms of uh, you know, vessel sizes that focus and are distinctly focused on intra-regional trades. Intra-regional trade, why is it um, uh, um, our focus? First of all, uh, we believe it has um, specifically interesting demand supply dynamics. We'll get to that later on when we talk about the market. Um, and also in terms of number of vessels globally deployed, it is by far the largest market, not in TU terms, but in terms of number of vessels. Uh, we have around 50% of the global fleet in terms of number of vessels deployed in intra-regional markets and 99% of the vessels or 98% of the vessels uh, deployed there are actually below 5,000 TU, i.e. In, in our age bracket. We'll touch on that in a bit more detail as we go through, especially the market dynamics. And um, I would like to hand over to Moritz who can run you through some of the financial aspects of our activities. Thank you, Constantine. Uh, looking at the uh, capital market and uh, corporate profile of, of MPCC, after our uh, IPO in 2017 and the number of uplistings we're now trading on the Euronext Oslobers, um, total shares trading are around 440 million. If we look at the share liquidity and volume being traded last year, we've been in Oslo the 15 most traded stock. Um, our market cap currently is around 700 million, um, while at the same time, we have around 50 million of net debt outstanding. Probably fair to say that this is uh, industry-wide uh, the lowest amongst our peers. Um, if we look at the shareholder structure, 17% uh, is owned by MPCC and, and the family behind MPCC, so very, very strong sponsor. Uh, this year, we had two private placements where Star Capital um, sold out of, of MPCC, uh, reducing the private equity overhang in, in, in the stock. Uh, second largest shareholder is uh, Songer, the Bluestead family, through the uh, merger that we did in uh, 2021. Uh, and most recently, we could add the um, domestic arm of the region state fund, owning 3.4%. 3 um, and we also increased quite significantly the US shareholding through the, the most recent private placements. 
Um, looking at the share price development from, from early uh, 21, obviously between 21 and early 22 was the sort of the build-up period of, of, of our stock, also reflecting the, the market dynamics, dynamics in, the, um, in the container space. And as of uh, 22, we started paying out uh, dividends, sort of the, the harvesting period, returning capital to our shareholders. Um, the most recent share development is, is sort of uh, reflected of the uncertainties in the in the general market and, and around macroeconomics. Um, but if we adjust the share price for, for dividends paid, um, the share price has been relatively stable despite developments in the container market. Um, and we will probably talk about it later, but looking at the, at the valuation of our company, we believe that we're sort of uh, not, not entirely correctly valued by, by the stock market, um, not really being reflective of the intrinsic value of the companies, its assets and, and the cash flow. Um, if we look now a bit more into detail on, on the dividends paid in um, last year, 22. So as Constantine said, we distributed 440 million to investors uh, around 40% dividend yield in, in 22. And we could, um, or we were able to um, con continuously improve uh, the quarterly dividend that has been distributed to, to investors. Everything has to be seen in, in connection with the, with the, with the uh, very low leverage ratio that we have on a balance sheet. So for us, it's very important to, or for us, it's a fine balance between returning capital to shareholders and, and retain balance sheet flexibility when it comes to leverage um, on, 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 um, on the fleet, uh, while we retain roughly half of the fleet uh, as unencumbered assets on, on, on the balance sheet, having flexibility going forward. Um, looking at the, um, at the guidance uh, for 22, we will probably um, come in as, as guided and significantly outperform uh, 21 uh, performance. Going to the next slide. This slide obviously speaks for itself. Uh, it's 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 a testament for for what we have built with this company, um, starting in, in 2017 when we when we went public. Really good market timing, uh, acquiring around 70 vessels in in a market which has been historically low. Uh, in 21, we could add another 12 ships through the merger with the uh, Songer container ships. Which was uh, perfectly timed if, if we if we look at the secondhand price index right right before the market uh, took off, and in terms of um, monetizing the early or the, the well-timed entry into the container market, we were able to sell a few ships at the peak of the market. So on average, uh, entry price on our fleet is around 10 million. Uh, average exit price on the vessels that have sold is 20 million. You could see that uh, we also invested into new buildings, probably a bit closer to, to peak market, what, which is very important to, uh, to mention in, in connection with the new builds is that uh, the construction carpex is fully covered by uh, charters that we have put in place, both on the 5,500 uh, 5 TUs, but also the, 13, the 1,300 uh, TUs supported in Korea and China. Um, and at the same time, while we distribute capital to uh, investors through event-driven dividends um, by asset sales, but also recurrent dividends, we still have a, a EBITDA backlog um, as per end of Q322 of around uh, 1.3 billion, which we are going to uh, monetize uh, for investors also going forward.
All right, that brings us to, to the market update. Um, and I'm happy to take over that section. Um, if we look at the global economic environment, obviously we have seen quite a, a challenging market over the last uh, six months, uh, if not a bit, a bit longer, um, which of course has been affecting the freight market to start with. Um, and you can see that from the top left here on this chart, um, there has been a significant increase in freight rates in connection with the developments in you know, 2021 and certainly first half of 2022. And then we have seen quite a deterioration of uh, freight rates. Volumes have, um, uh, first of all, increased significantly um, in the connection of kind of post-COVID uh, initial phase uh, with lockdowns. And um, overall, we're, we're still seeing solid freight, um, freight rates. If you look at, the, at it historically, and that you can see whilst the, you know, the red line has dropped by around 60 to 70%, overall, we're still up compared to historical averages. Does that mean we're at a turning point here? That is probably premature to, to argue. Yet, um, of course, for us, uh, the, 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 uh, the health of our customers, our liners is very important, the financial health. Um, in any event, and we, we are actually seeing still record earnings of liners, the top liners have a net cash position. So overall, the industry is in a completely different shape uh, than it has been over the last uh, 15 years. Um, so I think that is important, whilst this chart looks uh, like a pretty steep uh, fall in freight rates. Uh, we still have solid volumes, we still have uh, very profitable uh, liner companies, and we have obviously the most healthy balance sheets when it comes to, to our customers. Um, of course, there are a few wildcard events uh, like the, the current uh, Russia-Ukraine war, uh, recession fears, although um, uh, at least from today's perspective, one can obviously uh, take a slightly different stance to, to, to think about whether or not we will actually see a recession in the US. It's probably less likely in Europe, um, time will tell, but in my view, might might also something that we will not see, at least not statistically. Um, so we, we, we cannot rule out and we, we are actually um, expecting a, a normalization of the overall macro environment, hopefully uh, in the second half of uh, this year. Of course, intra-regional trade is a very important factor and we'll get to that uh, in a minute uh, because of the specifics um, of our segment. Um, now, what does the freight market, how, how does that correlate or, or affect the, the charter market? A not dissimilar picture when you look at charter rates and uh, asset prices on the top left, uh, we have seen quite a, a, a increase in charter rates and very importantly also periods that has uh, throughout 2021 and certainly the first half of 2022 put us in a position to actually lock in not just high rates but also long periods and that is a differentiator between the charter market and us as an owner and, and the liner companies who, who in general have shorter um, contract coverage um, so we we have quite a backlog not just in terms of volume but also in terms of number of years and that is I think uh, also a very unique differentiating factor if you compare the container tonnage owner market uh, with other shipping market, in particular commodity shipping. Um, we, we have seen a bit of a slowdown in activity um, uh, in the second half of, of last year and certainly until Chinese New Year. I mean, we have actually seen a bit more activity over the last couple of days, which is comforting, but which also doesn't necessarily mean we're, we're seeing the turning point here. Um, but uh, we, we do see more appetite, more charter requirements in the market as we speak. Um, and that is at least uh, a slightly positive uh, trend. Another aspect to consider when looking at the market dynamics is on the right hand side, where you see uh, you know, the, the, the usual 
um, annual availability of container ships has dropped significantly in the charter market. Usually you have 15 to 1600 uh, container vessels available every year um, in the charter market. Due to the longer periods that have been locked in, we are now seeing a charter market that is way smaller. Um, for 2022, it has been smaller, seeing higher rates. And for 2023, we expect the same due to the fact that most ships were chartered out for long periods. And that should at least serve as some sort of stability factor in, in our view. Now, let me wrap up the market section with uh, the next slide where we basically look at um, uh, on the left hand side at a graph where we compare uh, the, the order book uh, to fleet and the uh, fleet age in the respective size brackets. You can see from kind of uh, top to bottom uh, how we have illustrated the percentage of um, uh, order book to fleet on the water. Uh, the larger vessels are clearly dominating the order book and are hence on a you know, relative basis uh, compared to the fleet on the water, the largest part of the portfolio uh, of, the, of the, the, the order book, sorry. Um, and the smaller the vessels, the less exposed the order book is. Um, and that actually goes hand in hand. And that is the um, kind of interesting part when you look at that um, uh, matrix here. Uh, that uh, when it comes to age profile and actually requirement to potentially replace vessels, um, we see uh, a different picture, i.e. that the smaller vessels are in general older. Um, and we see, you know, in the one to 3000 TU, 25% um, of the order book is above 20 years of age, uh, which means replacement uh, needs in the years to come. Um, why is that the case? Um, I have a very clear view why that is the case. First of all, the big liners have ordered mainly the large ships because there they can uh, optimize slot costs on the east-west routes, on the east-west trades. And secondly, the question around the right propulsion is way easier to answer for the, for the larger vessels because you at least have an LNG infrastructure system available. So opting for dual fuel LNG has been uh, the prime choice at least um, over the last couple of years when it comes to the larger vessels. On the smaller vessels, it's about flexibility. Uh, it's about uncertainty where the vessel will trade tomorrow because it is about flexibility. And hence, to take a decision on the right propulsion technology and the right ship design is way more sophisticated and challenging. And that is also why, if you look at the top 10 liners, you see hardly anyone having ordered a smaller ship. There is replacement need. Um, I think on the supply side, that is very favorable for the intra-regional trades and the smaller vessels. Um, but we will definitely going forward, will see some new builds, um, but they are also needed if you look at this matrix in particular. On that note, um, I would like to move on with uh, a bit of an outlook. Um, this is um, our EBITDA backlog and distribution over time. Um, obviously, this is also per Q3, i.e. the last officially communicated financial figures are the basis for this. Um, uh, obviously, for Q4, we have 100% um, of the available days covered by now. For uh, 2023, we have uh, almost 90% of the days covered available um, with a respective revenue backlog of 560 million just for that year. So we have a very high visibility and as such a very low sensitivity to um, fluctuating rates uh, this year. Um, and that obviously puts us in a position in combination with our low leverage and our commitment to dividends to actually deliver on our promise also for this year, almost regardless of the market environment. 
For next year, we also have a very um, good uh, backlog. And overall, um, you can see that here from the stats, overall, we look at, as per end of Q3, 1.7 billion in revenue backlog and 1.3 billion in projected EBITDA backlog. Um, let me look at kind of some valuation aspects. Of course, you know, and Moritz alluded to that earlier, we are in the container market somewhat fighting against uh, sentiment in, in, in this very moment. Um, there's not uh, strong support from uh, sentiment and also macro parameters for the immediate um, development of the container market. However, differentiating different players is key in our view. And if you look at kind of the protection element that is embedded in our charter constellation and our backlog, uh, you can see that from this bridge where we have looked at our net debt as per end of Q3, market cap of the company, i.e. deriving an enterprise value, and then have just looked at you know, how our EBITDA, projected EBITDA covers that value. We have an access value above current EV, which is significant, i.e. even if you would discount um, any of the EBITDA, which we would argue is, is not the right way to think about it, actually to the contrary. And that brings me to the, the next part of the um, bridge here, the, the red arrow. Um, this bridge does not consider until access value any value for the fleet, right? And we have 65 vessels that we own. Um, current valuation on a charter-free basis is, is roughly uh, slightly above 1 billion US dollars. Obviously, that is fluctuating and that is charter-free. Um, but that means, in our view, there is a very significant upside potential um, in combination with the strong backlog and our value proposition here. Um, let me then have a look at uh, counterparties because, of course, when looking at backlog and arguing the backlog is a stronghold here, um, it is important to also understand the risk profile um, attached to that. We have shown here our composition of um, the backlog, the revenue backlog, and you see that uh, roughly 75% of the backlog is actually with the top 20 liner companies. To make that point again, um, most of them have net cash positions these days and are in a very, very solid, actually historically good financial and balance sheet position. Um, and the remaining charter duration is roughly 2.4 years, which also compared to others in the, in the industry means we are actually de-risking that cash flow over very short, those contracts over a fairly short period of time, um, which in my view is another positive aspect when looking at um, our backlog. Now, let me wrap up um, with, a, with a short summary because before we, we head into uh, hopefully a, a vivid uh, Q&A. Um, we are pretty focused on a very clear segment, which is the intra-regional trade routes for all the reasons that uh, we have explained in terms of demand and supply dynamics. We have been historically, and Moritz has shown that, that chart, pretty rational on how we allocate capital at what point in the cycle, and we will continue to do so. Um, we have a high flexibility in the balance sheet with uh, more than 50% of the fleet being unencumbered, uh, and we are in a position to act uh, when market opportunities arise, as we have announced today. We believe that will add value to our fleet. Um, and at the same time, we have a very high earnings visibility combined with a clear dividend policy and a commitment to returning capital to investors. The next update will come um, end of February with the Q4 figures, um, um, and we will at the same day also pay out the event-driven distribution that we have communicated today. And on that note, I would like to open the floor for questions. Uh, thanks, everyone, for your interest so far.
just to remind everybody that they can submit their questions and they already are through the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen. All right, there is, there is one question here um, asking about capital allocation priorities. Um, let me read that out. Today you have announced that MPCC has declared another event-driven distribution, but has also acquired two vessels. Can you walk us through your thoughts on capital allocation going forward? Um, I guess we touched on it to some extent um, during the presentation, but let me reiterate that position. We believe, you know, there are times to deploy capital and then there are times to um, uh, more harvest um, and return capital to investors. We have deployed, we had a significant deployment phase in 2017 and 18, uh, where we felt the market was attractive entry point. Now, in this market environment, uh, we believe it's still important to be balanced, but to place a clear priority on returning capital to investors that is embedded in our dividend policy. Um, uh, but it doesn't mean that we are not in a position to act on opportunities as we, as we have done. And very importantly, we intend to continue to combine a low leverage company and a low leverage balance sheet with our commitment to dividends. So that's the way we think about it at this stage. And um, uh, let's take the next question. There was one question here. Um, that is about uh, cascading. There's a question, uh, do you foresee any significant cascading effects entering the CDPR segment going forward? Um, of course, cascading has been there all along, right? Um, we have seen uh, some cascading, but that cascading is, has been limited. And to my point earlier, that 98% of the vessels actually deployed in intra-regional trades is below 5,000 TU. Uh, and some of that relates to logistical constraints, meaning you cannot maintain the same port rotation and the same service offering as a liner company compared to um, uh, larger vessels. Uh, and also there are still physical restrictions. Obviously there are investments in infrastructure, in port side infrastructure that would um, address that. But there are regions on this planet, like in particular intra-Americas, for example, where it will not be that easily possible. And also in intra-Asian trades, we have seen cascading by some baby Panamaxes into certain feeder trades, yet feeder trades in total have grown. So we have not seen that they have actually pushed out smaller vessels. They have rather, you know, added on top, been added on top and have grown the market. Does that mean we will see the same uh, development in future? I'm not sure. I mean, if we see lower volumes, it's actually rather likely that uh, trades might get downsized. Um, and we actually see some trends like relocation of production that could be favorable. So to answer your question, I guess there is always a bit of cascading happening. I don't see that as being you know, a uh, very significant uh, effect uh, in the next quarters, uh, but we will certainly see a bit of cascading. Um, so shall I take that next one? Yeah, there's one more question. It says concerning secondhand purchases going forward, what is the age bracket you're looking at? And could you provide some comment on scrubber fuel spread benefits? Um, the scrubber element has been a very important factor in our acquisition decision. In fact, uh, we believe that Scrubbers add a lot of value in this market environment at a spread of, uh, for our vessels that we bought, the, the three and a half and the 2,800 TU that we announced today. Um, 
at a spread of let's say 200, which is obviously rather on the low end at the moment even, uh, we would be looking at uh, five and a half to $6,000 per day in, in savings on a, uh, on a chart, a TCE basis. So we believe that is a significant um, a benefit for us and for our customers. Um, and therefore for you know, the vessels that we've acquired to consume around uh, 10,000 10, metric tons per annum, we believe that there, there are potential savings between one and a half and two million that could be in our benefit on that basis, just on a single vessel basis. So we believe it is a very important feature. Um, and in terms of age bracket, we would be looking at a kind of balancing our portfolio in a way, potentially selling off some of the uh, slightly older vessels and replacing them with vessels. Age bracket is, I would say, not necessarily um, the decisive factor, but we would not acquire, potentially not acquire a 20-year-old. That's also why we have sold a 20-year-old vessel just now. Uh, but we would be looking somewhere between, let's say, five and uh, maybe 15 years of age is, is probably a, a sweet spot um, at, at this stage um, from our view. There is another question. Should, should I just continue? Or should we, um, if, if the market is mispricing the company, why isn't MPCC buying back shares? What are your thoughts on buyback versus dividends? Uh, I would almost say an evergreen question and of course a valid question. Um, at the moment, um, we are, especially in 2022, we wanted to establish a very clear dividend policy and make sure investors understand what they get um, and, and that it is a reliable dividend and distribution. On event-driven distributions, a share buyback could be on the cards. We have, as, as I've explained, just bought two vessels. So um, of course, there's always the question, well, is the implied uh, value of this acquisition, how does that compare with a share buyback? I think on those assets, it's pretty clear that those assets do not 100% represent what we buy back if we buy back shares. That's also why we have undertaken this acquisition. We believe this will add value in the long run. We believe this is a fairly low risk investment that would actually end value at the tail end of our valuation. And, the and if we balance out our portfolio going forward, that is the right way to, to go about it. Having said that, we will most certainly stick to our um, commitment to returning capital to investors. That is the kind of overriding uh, principle in a way. Um, having said that, we still have enough flexibility also by ships. So share buyback is something we consider. Um, but um, um, at the moment, we have kind of opted for the dividend route um, and uh, we will um, closely assess that as an option going forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question is, um, is your event-driven distribution the same in name as your regular dividend or is it in addition to the regular dividend? So. Simple answer, it is in addition to the uh, recurring dividend. So the recurring dividend is basically, we have committed to distribute up to 75% of our adjusted net earnings. So from, from our uh, operations, um, whereas the event-driven dividend is linked to uh, vessel sales, um, where we have historically distributed between uh, 50 and, and 75% um, of, of capital back to, to shareholders. Um, Going forward, uh, we will probably keep some flexibility when it comes to the event-driven uh, distribution, as we've seen just now when we sold the 20-year-old ship. 
um, where we have allocated capital to the uh, new vessel acquisitions, um, which obviously are accretive to um, dividends uh, distributed to shareholders going forward. Okay, there's one more question here on, um, and it requires at least my a bit of interpretation. Uh, the question is how will political requirements regarding pollution impact the usability of vessels? I would assume that question relates to, to regulation um, and to potential you know, CII, EXI um, or EU ETS or other um, regulations coming up. Um, it will obviously have an impact on the market. Um, we are already year to date seeing that on certain trades vessels, we are in dialogue with our clients, the liner companies, we see vessels are actually asked to slow down. Um, so that is, I think, uh, uh, an interesting data point. It's too early to draw a conclusion on, on what that means in terms of percentages on, um, on the overall fleet in terms of capacity impact, but we, we are seeing it and we are, you know, one month into the year uh, observing that, that this is actually happening. The usability of vessels, I, I still believe that we will see, you know, vessels, um, uh, especially smaller vessels trade for prolonged period. Um, and that means, you know, useful life of around 25 years. And obviously, it will be impacted by um, availability of potentially new fuels. It will be um, impacted by new regulation and potentially slower speeds. And so there will be different layers of uh, um, elements or of effects that, that we will see. Um, and in the end, you know, the world fleet needs to be replaced. That is, however, nothing that will happen overnight. If you look at the uh, global shipyard capacity, for example, I mean, we had pre-2008 uh, around 350 shipyards. Now we probably have 120 left. And out of that 120, only 50% can build more than five vessels per annum. So all the replacement of vessels and the shipyards are full with the very large container ships. So I think it will take time. Um, so we would need to maintain and the world needs to maintain uh, the supply chains, um, uh, etc. So there is, in my view, um, obviously an effect on vessels over time, but not an immediate effect um, um, over the next, uh, let's say, one or two years in, in, in no event. Um, Sure. Uh, next question is on the uh, two ships that we uh, just announced that we're going to acquire. Um, are you able to give any detail about the contracts to the uh, newly acquired vessels? Um, so I guess we're a bit bound by confidentiality in, in the charter party, but uh, maybe to give some details. Um, so the 2800 uh, TU ship is on a contract which is above current market and, and runs until uh, end of Q3, early Q4 uh, this year. Um, the other ship has a, a kind of unique uh, construct when it comes to the TC contract, which has a floor ceiling and it's index linked. Um, the floor is slightly below uh, current markets at mid-teens. Um, but both, both obviously, both vessels have the benefit of a, um, a scrubber earning a share between the operator and us as owner, which, uh, in our view, made those two vessels, including the contract, very, very attractive. Then there is a question on uh, our agreement with Inertech. So there's your agreement with Inertech for synthetic MDO. Is this a measure for some ships to be compliant with CEI? How will the cost be compared to regular fuel? Um, that is related to uh, an announcement by Inertech that we have signed an, an offtake agreement. 
um, for for certain quantities. We we are in in discussions with some of our liner partners because of course our vessels are on time charter and uh, the fuels um, uh, or the bunker is being paid by the liner companies. I think it is a it is more to be seen as an addition. Uh, it will of course mean uh, if one could run ships immediately on synthetic MDO. That, uh, that the vessels will be green and that would not just be compliant with CII, that means the vessels will be, will be running on green fuels basically. Um, and that is obviously beneficial even to conventional propulsion ships or conventional technology ships. Having said that, quantities are not yet available in the required um, uh, magnitude. And therefore this is to be seen as a, a measure of us to, to, to also interact with our liner partners and certain synthetic fuel providers going forward. It is, uh, obviously more costly than conventional fuel. We believe going forward conventional fuel will potentially be um, obviously affected by EU ETS and, 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 and other layers of cost. Um, so for us, this is more a, um, uh, a cooperation into the future than an actual immediate effect on, uh, uh, on, uh, on our vessels. There is uh, another question. So far, dividends uh, has primarily been repayment of paid in capital. When do you expect to start paying dividends from earnings? Um, indeed, so far we have paid uh, back the share premium. Um, we still have uh, roughly 230 million, I believe, more it's like in, in, in terms of um, volume available. We will continue to pay uh, back out of share premium. Having said that, uh, then going forward, that might also have an impact on the decision uh, between um, uh, dividends and share buyback, for example. Um, but uh, another 230 million in dividend capacity is, is available out of share premium. Um, then there is a uh, question on the 2M line split. Any comments on the 2M line split? Um, not an easy question. Um, I think uh, probably the, the earnings next earnings call of Maersk is the better place to, to raise that uh, question. I personally think that um, it, it will obviously, you know, have an impact on the market in one way or the other. Um, it seems that there have been different strategic angles um, in terms of strategic direction of, of the companies. Um, but um, I'm certainly not best positioned to comment on, on the strategy of uh, the biggest liner companies on this globe who, who will have a, a very clear view. Um, what one can say is that obviously the order book of MSC today is larger than the 2M alliance has been at the point of incorporation. So um, I think there is also a, a, a size game uh, around and maybe also, as I said, a different direction in strategy. Um, shall I, where, there, there's a question, where do you see the company in five years? Um, um, well, where we see the company in five years, we see us as still being uh, very rational about what we do, when we do it with our capital. Um, I believe that, you know, the container market will be a, a very and highly relevant part of uh, the global economy and supply chains. Um, we will probably have also, you know, adjusted our fleet profile to some extent. Um, uh, our announcement today was, was one step. Our new bills last year were others. Both transactions have no negative impact on dividend capacity given our backlog. Um, so we will over time certainly balance out the fleet. Um, but we will definitely still be around. We will definitely be uh, still focused on a specific trade. Um, 
um, and uh, we will act rationally with our balance sheet and capital. And I'm sure we will be uh, continue to be an uh, interesting investment to the market. Um, what else? Yeah. So next, next question again on on the uh, just announced vessel acquisition. Uh, can you comment on the residual value risk for the newly acquired secondhand vessels? Um, yes. Yeah, so obviously we we uh, we're quite focused on managing residual risk when it comes to to our existing fleet, but also looking at new opportunities and broad strokes uh, across the two ships. Uh, the residual risk after uh, the contracted EBITDA uh, and the conservative uh, scrap values around uh, seven to eight million per ship. Uh, to put it in per day terms, uh, this is around uh, two to two and a half thousand dollars per day that you need to earn above the cash break even to de-risk um, down to zero, which is a very comfortable level um, we feel. And this calculation is excluding uh, the scrubber premium uh, that is achievable on those two ships. So again, uh, we feel quite comfortable to, to de-risk the ships um, beyond the uh, contracted uh, charter backlog in a relatively short uh, time frame. There's one more, uh, it seems slightly follow-up question on uh, on the 2M lines, and that is in terms of market demographics, how is MPCC impacted by events such as the fragmentation of liner alliances and MERSC MSC as an example? Um, again, I, I think it I think it boils down to, to also strategic considerations of the liner companies when you look at their capital allocation um, focus. MSC has bought a lot of ships. Maersk has, you know, tried to be a bit more integrated in terms of door-to-door -door logistics provider. Um, a, you know, a disruption of the alliances, which I'm not sure is going to happen uh, on a global scale. But if, if that was the question, then that will certainly lead to slightly more inefficiencies, and it might actually mean uh, more need for for tonnage. Um, so. Um, I would say the glass is half full on that question, but it's 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 very difficult to foresee the actual implications that might have um, um, going forward because the actual scope of um, uh, of any alliance uh, reshuffling is is uncertain and certainly uh, not known to us. Um, then there is a question of uh, another question on uh, on dividend yield in 2024. What is the estimated dividend yield? For 2024, um, I would refer to the analysts uh, putting out their their um, their reports. As we have seen in the presentation, we still have quite some backlog also in 2024, um, around roughly 50% of the days. Um, that means we are slightly more sensitive to um, uh, to rate developments. So um, I think we even had a chart in one of the quarterly calls on that, and that really depends on your rate assumption. But it will in any event be a, uh, unless the market kind of collapses completely, if we see a sideways movement or kind of historical average movement on rates, it will definitely be a, a very solid double digit uh, dividend yield on that basis. But again, it boils down to uh, market developments and charter rate developments, um, given that we have around 50% of the day still open for 2024. And there's another question on the share premium of 220 million, whether that is dollars or NOx, that is US dollars. Um, uh, so um, that is a short answer. Mm -hmm. 
Then there is a question on the two newly acquired vessels. What are your thoughts on the vessels being redelivered in the next one to two years when a significant portion of the new build order book will be delivered? Um, well, first of all, we look at it also in terms of the overall portfolio. Um, we believe this, these vessels are, are very good, especially also compared to peer vessels. Um, as we've said, the scrubber element is a very decisive um, uh, benefit and advantage vis-a-vis -vis other vessels, we believe. Um, and therefore, from a purity risking standpoint, as Moritz ran you through the math, uh, I mean, we, we need, uh, um, you know, way lower uh, charter rates than historical averages to, um, to get a good yield out of this investment and certainly de-risk that investment. And on top of that, we have the scrubber savings. So um i'm i'm not overly concerned about that very fact um i'm actually very positive and that's why we have uh, acquired those vessels that we will actually see a good uh, upside from that the order book of course is not insignificant if you look at the order book and who has ordered um the vast majority of the orders in our segment in the smaller sizes is from asian operators so the big liner companies haven't ordered. They will still need to charter in vessels of that size um, over the next one, two, three years um, in any event. So I'm not concerned about charter requirements, uh, given that the large liner companies um, have not ordered a lot. So the order book is firstly geared towards the very large ships and secondly, in the smaller sizes are mainly smaller to mid-sized Asian operators. All right. Um, there's no further question. Um, happy to uh, wait another minute to see whether anything comes in. Nicholas comes in. That's good too. Well, I'm not coming in to ask a question. I have to say this has been uh, wonderful as expected. Um, great presentation as always. And you got an avalanche of questions. Like, you know, I think. Uh, uh, and um, oh, I see there are a couple more coming in. Um, so maybe I have to turn off my camera for a moment until you answer those two. Okay, so, so there was one question. Um, are you seeing any effects from IMO 23 in the charter market? Uh, I would say not yet to that extent. Uh, it's, it's probably a bit, you know, discussions about clauses, etc. But uh, we're not yet seeing significant effects from that, but it's early in the year, so I, I do expect that uh, we will probably see clearer and I would probably have a better answer to that question um, uh, towards the end of the first quarter. Um, and then there's another question on share buyback. Uh, I guess that we answered already, so uh, I would like to refer to the replay uh, on that one. Um, Great. And that question has already been raised. So uh, again, one more, sorry, there's one more, Nicholas. Uh, from what date is was MPCC the owner of the two new ships? We 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 have yet to take them over, so we are not yet an owner of the vessels. Uh, to make that point, uh, the uh, handover is expected in the next uh, roughly six weeks. So all I want to say is that uh, I'm uh, really gratified to see uh, how. The interaction has been so wonderful, and I think that's part of the of the value of this presentation to provide the opportunity for interaction between the company and the investors. And you really got a tremendous number of questions. So uh, I'd like to thank you both for being with us.
I'd like to thank our participants for making it um, so successful and, and interesting. And uh, I will uh, uh, remind everybody that uh, this session will be available for replay uh, upon demand later on. And again, thank you everybody for being with us. Thanks everyone from our side as well. And thank you, Nicholas, for, for hosting this uh, presentation series. Much appreciated. Take care and have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. you very much. Bye-bye.